He'll make it for sure. Now that's why I backed him on Tab Touch. Hey, Luke. Yes, Gene Simmons. He's probably the best when it comes to this stuff. Thanks, Gene. You've got the touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hello and welcome to Hoop Seven's Basketball Hustle. And after 20 rounds of the NBL season, we've now got a bit of time to take a deep breath and get ready for the final. So we've finally got those top six teams decided. The NBL awards have been handed out, so we'll discuss how all of that played out. The two interim coaches from the season have now been locked in for permanent roles. And we're about to find out over the next month who the NBL 24 champions will be. I'm Chris Pike, but delighted to be joined once again by the former Southeast Melbourne head coach Simon Mitchell. Simon, how do I find you this week with a bit of a bit of a break, unfortunately, before the final start? Yeah, I'm a man with nothing to do right now. Um, <laughs> sort of that loss of momentum that we we get going into the finals. It's um, a little disappointing, and um, didn't have a lot of interest in the Boomers versus career either. So yeah, uh, I guess it's WNBL time, and. Um, yeah, running the kids around. Well, actually, the kids didn't have games this weekend either, so <laughs> it's, it's almost a basketball-free weekend. No, it has been. I mean, the, the good thing is the WNBL season has its last round, and that's coming down, as we record this, to the very final game between Townsville and, and Sydney to see who ends up making the top four. So it's a similar finish to the NBL season where it comes down to the very last game. The unfortunate part for me is with the WNBL, it's, it's very hard to find... Unless you go looking for it on the Nine Now app, it's hard to find games, which is disappointing. We want our National League to be a bit easier to find, don't we? Oh, without doubt. You know, I think the WNBL's poorly represented in the media mm. um, in, a, in a lot of ways, whether it be podcast, radio, print, and certainly the television. Um, it's certainly something you have to go hunting for. I mean, there is a real like, The good thing is, I guess, that there's more games on TV now that we can access. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time, I guess it was just the ABC game mm. once a week. And yeah. um, so, from that standpoint, you get to see a lot more if you if you know where to look. Yes. Um, but yeah, I still think Basketball Australia do a horrible job of promoting the league um, through their socials. You know, there's it, it, a lot of work to be done to get that product up to scratch. No, no, you're right. It's, it's probably the sort of thing we could spend a whole a whole show talking about because in a lot of ways where the WNBL is now it makes me think of where the NBL was before Larry Kesselman took over and going back 10 years it, it feels like it's in a very similar situation where Basketball Australia doesn't isn't willing to put the resources into it and the quality of product is there just needs that backing similar to what Larry's given the NBL. I think you're spot on there. And it's an interesting point when you talk about the product being there. I think there's a diminished product at the moment. Yep. Um, I think we've seen a lot of our domestic players head to Europe um, and obviously a lot of doing the WNBA. And, and, and I guess the COVID years of college, giving those extra years to some of our, our younger players that have stayed over in America. Um, so I actually see a bit of a diminished product, which was similar to the NBL yep. towards the end of the BA days. Yes. Um, and then we saw you know guys like Daniel Kickett, Dave Anderson, Brad Newley, Dave Barlow, all returning from Europe yeah. um, to play in, in the NBL and, and hopefully at some stage the WNBL sorts itself out and we can get some of those players that have, have gone overseas and bring it back because there's only 10 teams yeah. and if you're taking out you know a, a dozen to 13, 14 odd players out of the league 
you know, that's that's a player and a half per team that we are missing, and that that's significant. Um, so yeah, hopefully, yeah, there's a lot of correlation between where the NBL was, and hopefully, we see the um, a boom for the WNBL that we saw for the NBL. Yeah, let's hope so. So let's get stuck into what we're here to talk about, Simon, and that's the end of the NBL season. We'll look ahead to the finals as well. We'll do a rundown on the award winners that were handed out and, and maybe do a comparison to how our predictions shaped up compared to what, what the NBL just decided as well. Of course, we're here thanks to Hoop7, so if you need any of your basketball shoes or merchandise or anything in between, head to hoop7.com.au and they'll take care of you there. Or if you do happen to be in Perth, head into the store on Murray Street and, and of course, Tab Touch, our great supporters here. So if you want us to try and help you find some winners, head to the Tab Touch app or tabtouch.com. Dot au. Let's look back a couple of weeks. It feels like a lifetime ago already, Simon, to the end of the NBL season, even though it was only a week ago. The last round, it ended up coming down to that very last game. The New Zealand Breakers couldn't get the job done against the 36ers and, and it hurt them. They ended up falling down to sixth spot. It's a positive, though, isn't it, that we have a 20-round season and we have the almost the last five minutes of the very last game determining who ends up making the finals in what position. So what did you make of the end of end of the season? Um, yeah, look, I, I agree. You want to see a competitive season. You want to see teams that are fighting it out right up until the very end of the season. Uh, I guess we had maybe Melbourne and Adelaide, oh, sorry, Southeast Melbourne and Adelaide um, drop off maybe, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, Southeast yeah. a little further back. But everybody else was pretty much live going into these uh, these last couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, that's really positive. Uh, that, you know, tip your hat to the top brass at the NBL with regards to the salary cap and um, fixturing and all the things that equalised mm. um, the league to an extent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's as a basketball-consuming public it's what we want to see is live games um that matter and uh you know i think we get that on uh, on most occasions in the nbl yeah let's let's go through sort of step by step how that last round played out so it started on the friday night well i guess it started on the thursday but in terms of teams locking in a spot it was always going to come down to that breakers and bullets game one of one of those teams was going to lock themselves in one of them was going to make life mighty tough for them and the breakers beat the bullets to lock themselves in a in a spot tom abercrombie's last ever home game for the, for the breakers and it's a, a pretty emotional occasion what did you make of of the job that they did in probably what was their biggest biggest home crowd of the season as well which was which which was good to see what i took from that game is, is firstly the character that new zealand have, have been mm. able to build yeah over the past few years, uh, there was never any doubt in my mind that they were going to take care of their business in this one, and, and that's not so much based on personnel because, we, as we know, New Zealand have, have struggled to be consistent with who they put on the floor. Yeah. Um, and, and this round has kind of again, this round has kind of been uh, symbolic of the seasons for some teams. You know, for New Zealand, the the inconsistency of being able to put the the, the team out there that they want to, um, and then incurring some more injuries, which I guess we'll talk about a little later. Mm. And then the Bullets who have been in a roller coaster ride um, haven't really shown themselves to be a team that turn up um, uh, when it matters most um, against the better teams yeah. and uh, you know we saw Melbourne United smack them around um, in all, their all three uh, times. games throughout the se- throughout the season and it's an important game and it never really felt like they were going to push the breakers um, too hard so 
it's uh, it's rather symbolic of, of where they're at. But yeah, all credit to the breakers. They they took care of the business they had to on the night. Um, and it's an important win for them and uh, you know, a great showing out for for the New Zealand basketball public. Yeah, absolutely. So that that knocked out the bullets. The previous night, the Hawks beat the Wildcats again. Now I know it's a game where. The Wildcats didn't necessarily have anything to play for in terms of their position, but I'm sure they didn't want to go into a into a playoff series not having beaten a team they could potentially face all season. But the Hawks, they do all the things that the Wildcats don't do well. So they, they crash the boards, they dominate the, the rebounding, they get to the offensive boards, they make life difficult for Bryce, as we've talked about before, with the way that they, they double-team him and just try to deny him the ball. It's just a really good matchup for the Hawks against the Wildcats. They'll be hoping that they end up meeting in a in a semi-final series, won't they? I think they feel pretty comfortable. I mean, we've spent forty-five years of watching the, <laughs> the Wildcats beat down the Hawks, and, yeah. and in twelve months, it's uh, it's completely turned around. It's it's a really I've got real concerns for the Wildcats, and I've talked about it on this with you for for, for several weeks. Um, you know, and again, it came up in this round. Their defensive transition is just atrocious. Yes. It's awful. And um, we were able to see the uh, the Hawks continually get out in the break against them, and not always, you know, capitalising. Um, but when they did, yeah, it was a real letdown. Um, you know, we've seen this in the last few years. The Wildcats have really struggled on the boards, and you know, it looked like they were making inroads on that. Then the last couple of games, you mm-hmm. see it become a real Achilles heel for them again. And, and those are two areas. You, you can't give up easy baskets in the playoffs because baskets can genu- genuinely be hard to come by at times. And you can't lose the battle of the boards. And, and I go into these playoffs and, and, you know, I think acknowledging that Perth may not have had as much to play for as uh, as the Hawks. But this has been a concern of mine for several weeks with the Wildcats, um, especially that defensive transition. It's all over the place. And uh, I think for the first time, John really has acknowledged that in public. But it's a real issue for Perth. And uh, it'll be a short stay in the finals for them if they don't rectify it between now and uh, and the finals kicking off. We saw on Saturday then, oh, it was a funny one. I, I think I mentioned to someone last, last week before this game that it was a sort of game the Kings and the Phoenix where Sydney was either going to come out and win by 50 or they would somehow find a way to lose. We saw the good Sydney Kings. They ended up winning by 55 points to lock in their final spot to make sure that the Bullets had no chance of, of making it. Um, I mean, the, the, you feel sorry for the Phoenix just because of the situation they're in, but this is the good Sydney Kings team, how they can feel when they're, they're up and going. Yeah, I'm not buying. Um <laughs> So don't sell it to me. <laughs> I'm glad for their social media team. They mm. seem pretty chuffed about the win and the margin and they were crowing all week as they have a tendency to do. Mm. Um, look, don't put a lot into it. It was a very soft kill. Um, I thought the Phoenix were really poor. Really, really poor. You know, as, uh, I know they can never... Well, you've, I, I believe you've always got something to play for, mm. uh, whether it's your personal pride, um, the people who turn up to watch you. Um, motivation should never be short um, and, and hard to find, And uh, but I didn't see a lot of motivation out there. So that was really disappointing. Um, but credit to Sydney, they, they did what they had to do, and that was a, a masterclass in soft kills. So good for them. Let's see them do it to a team that matters. I think they're the perfect candidate to do a soft kill because they've got all the individual brilliance that you need on a team. So when they are allowed to show that, then they're always a prime candidate to come out and play when they don't have much opposition up against them. You're right. Um, Then came down to the very last game. This was fascinating. Adelaide, they had a sold-out crowd. Scott Ninnis determined to finish off the season to make sure that he locked in his job, really, to to put in a, a good performance to finish the season. They had a big crowd there. Um, we'll talk about the breakers shortly in terms of 
just having to deal with another back-to-back with a short turnaround, and they did look exhausted. But they had a lot to play for. They could have potentially finished fourth with a with a big enough big enough win. They still could have finished fifth if they um, limited the damage and earned a home final against the Kings. In the end, they end up finishing sixth because Adelaide finished on a on a high note. Yeah, it was a really disappointing night for the Breakers. Um, a really disappointing shooting night. You know, they, they shot really poorly from the floor. And they've, they've been the, the best shooting team for the year. You know, they've got the most, the highest effective field goal percentage um, in the league at 54.9%, which is really high. But um, here's the issue for New Zealand. And, and, and if they've had it all year. If things aren't happening for them uh, from the floor, and you know, quite often it does, as, as we just talked about, but um, if it's not happening, their inability to get to the line... On these sorts of nights, it haunts them. Um, oh, I want to get your thoughts on that. It has been a problem all season. They, they, the amount less that they get to the line than their opposition is is massive. Week, week after week, game after game. Is that their fault, or is do they get a, the wrong end of the the whistle, or is it a combination? Uh, I think there's been nights where certainly you could argue that they haven't been the beneficiary of a good whistle, but I think there's far more to it, and that's far too easy an explanation. Um, they run a very uh, heavy mid-cylinder pick-and-roll um, series for their players where they like to attack from. I And, and a lot of their, I mean, their ball handlers, particularly Will McDowell-White, um, to a lesser degree, PJC, but, but they both like to finish with floaters, which avoids contact. Mm. Um, it doesn't get you contact, so it doesn't get you on the rim. It doesn't get you to the free throw line. Um, they're both very, very good at it. Um, and PJC is a little bit more likely to try and get himself on the rim, but they're both very, very content to settle on those floaters. So, you know, when you when you shoot a lot of threes and you shoot a lot of floaters, when you do get feet in the paint, there's going to be a tendency for you not to get to the free throw line as much as others. Mm. In nothing but admiration for New Zealand, the way they have overcome some of the issues that they've had um, this year and you know obviously they had a great season last year but I think there's almost a little bit of a one-dimensional aspect to the way they do um, look to score and it is through that mid-cylinder pick and roll I'd love to see them attack from other angles even throw the ball into the post even if you don't have great post players and you know we saw Finn Delaney didn't play in the game um, but he's someone who can you can throw the ball to and say all right Get go get us something, but ball into the post. I guess, in fairness, Anthony Lamb could do that, couldn't he? He he could score in a lot of different ways. Well, that's where they miss him. Exactly, exactly. And I was going to get to that yep. in the sense that, that these are the nights where you're not shooting well. You can just go to an Anthony Lamb, and he can give you different looks yep. um, because he can score for three levels. Um, he can score with his back to the basket. You know, he's just such a well-rounded offensive player, and they, that's where those are the nights where they'll really miss him. But even just for the sake of throwing it into someone who can be a distributor out of the post. Post, mm. just to create different angles of attack and have the defense react. And, yeah, I think those are the nights where you've got to try and mix it up. But, yeah, they're in the finals. Um, whilst they don't have the home game, I don't think they'll be fearing um, Sydney when they go up there. No, no, they won't. We'll talk a bit more about them shortly because they copped some more injury blows as well and you have to feel for them. Um, before we take our first break, a couple of quick things. We'll go through each award from the NBL in more detail a bit later, but... Your quick reactions. When the NBL awards were finished being handed out on Monday night, we knew that Bryce Cotton was going to be MVP. That was the one lock. In general, were you reasonably happy with the rest? We'll go through them in more detail, but did you feel like they got most things right? Um, I was watching Chimp Empire for about the fourth time on Netflix. So I, I think I've stated before, I'm not a big fan of Trophy Night. Um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. Uh, there's maybe one 
or two awards that uh, I think could do with a little revision. Again, my, my care factor is not extraordinarily high. Um, if they never fix it, so be it. But I, I think there's maybe two awards that we maybe need to look into. And I'm not even sure. I, maybe it's just me and I don't understand the, the parameters or maybe because there aren't strict parameters around. This mm. is what the award is for. Then we all have our own idea of it, which creates its own sort of controversy. But in regards to the, the first team, second team, um, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, I think I ran the... Ran the table on those ones, mate. I know you might yes. not have, but... No, uh, I, I, no, I think you got much closer than I did. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I thought the awards were... I mean, you're always going to have a worthy winner, right? The only one would have been Bryce this year. Yeah. If he didn't win, I think the uh, there might have been a bunch of people in Red Army <laughs> yes. uh, with pitchforks out the front of the NBL <laughs> office uh, the next morning. That Red Eye would have been busy. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll go through all those in more detail later. Another thing I wanted to get your quick thoughts on, the interim coaches, both Scott Ninnis and Justin Tatum are now locked in. So Scott's got the job full-time full, full time at, at the Adelaide 36ers, which I think we're all delighted about. And Justin Tatum, it just seemed a, an absolute no-brainer to lock him in. And I'm glad they announced it before the finals. They didn't need any sort of distraction heading in. But you're pretty happy with both those decisions? Extremely happy about Justin Tatum at the Hillawarra Force. As you said, it's a no-brainer. You know, he certainly would have been under heavy consideration for that coach of the year gone. But I think this is a much sweeter prize for him and the Hawks. And, um, yeah, look, I think they've probably just waited for an opportune time to announce it. I'd be very surprised if this wasn't done um, some some time back. Um, As for Scott Nittis, I'm a little bit uh, foot in each camp here. Brilliant news for Adelaide basketball and Scott. But Adelaide, the city has just lost its finest wine tour guide um which which disappoints me as a wine drinker so <laughs> no nah, it's great news for scott really happy for the 36ers and the fans and uh and all those sixes deck sixes you know the brett mars and rupert sapples of the world who sit in the stands and to see their mate uh, patrolling the sideline i think that's um it's a nice little cultural touch there so yeah look great great news for both those blokes i'm really happy for them and, yeah, I wish them all the success. I hope they do really well in their no longer interim coaching jobs. <laughs> yes. What do you think it means for Brian Gorgian? So on our last show, Cody talked about how he feels like he's an absolute natural fit for the Sydney Kings, and he, he can't see any reason why Mahmoud abdul Fattah will continue in the job just the way things appear to, appear to be going at the Kings, looking on from the outside. What do you think? Do you think Gorge could land at the Kings next year, or what do you think it means that... There's no job with the Hawks or the 36ers that he can now put his hand up for. Uh, well, yeah, uh, I guess it means Brian Gorge can go to Paris and bring us back a medal for one. Yes, um, yes. All of us. <laughs> yes. um, look, Brian will have a job. It'll be well paid, very well paid, um, and he'll be successful because it's what he's been doing for over 30 years now. Um, he's a master coach, whether it's in the NBL or somewhere else, um, there's going to be a huge demand for, for Brian Gorge. now... Does he still fit Sydney? Does he want to go back and do that all over again? I mean, I, I really don't have any idea if that's what that's something Brian's interested in, yeah. um, or, or if they're interested in him. To be honest, yeah, yeah, um, sure. you know, like that, it needs to be. You know, they, they seem to have had had a, uh, a fascination with the young up and coming American coach. Mm. So Brian, whilst he might be American, um, he's not up and coming. He's been around <laughs> a while. So you know, whether or not there's a fit there, uh, that's up to the. Brian and, and the Sydney Kings. I mean, I have no doubt if he was to be there, they'd be hugely successful. But uh, you know, let's let's wait and see what happens. But Brian Brian's a master coach. Um, I'll be rooting for him in Paris, and yes. um, yeah, he'll land where he wants to land. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, all right. Last thing before we take our first break, 
Speaking of breaks, we're on a fever break right now. I mean, first of all, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, the, the fever window is what it is. If the NBL wants to be affiliated with fever, then you have to adhere to, to their breaks. So, I mean, you have to take a break from your competition when, when it happens. And I think a week before the finals is probably better than during the finals, which we've seen in previ- previous seasons. But it, it's not great for the competition to lose momentum just as the NRL and AFL seasons are about to start. So that's not, not ideal. I don't think it's great for the teams. And I think it actually lessens the advantage for finishing first and second. It becomes a disadvantage because now all of a sudden Melbourne and Perth won't be playing for almost three weeks. And I don't think that's that's great for them. And the other thing is that I don't think the Boomers get a great advantage out of playing right now because they don't get anything near a full-strength team. Nick Kay is probably the only guy on this team that has a chance of playing in Paris that's on this Boomers team. So there's not a lot for the Boomers to get out of playing right now either, as we saw against Korea. It's a funny one. There's nothing you can do about it, but at the same time, it's frustrating to have this break, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's an unfortunate situation. Um, you know, obviously, as a league, we lose that momentum, um, and, and it's an important time of the year because we're heading in the finals. And as you said, those other major sports are sort of. It's hard enough trying to navigate through the media mm. um, as those teams have sit down and watch the news and you know, you're going to hear about a Collingwood bloke who tweaked yeah. an ankle who was running laps <laughs> yes. like, and that's the starting sport news item um, and for, for the NBL you know it's always working hard to try and get to stay in the uh, the mainstream media and, and these things don't help as for the teams finishing top yeah look it's, it's clearly no advantage the, well let me take that back it's certainly an advantage in the sense that if you're carrying a few niggles yep. it gives you that extra time so that's wonderful but it, it like these teams will have to find external opponents to come in just to keep the team ticking over, just mm. to keep the competitiveness of training because you just can't keep going up against it. And especially a team like Perth who has so many deficiencies right now yeah. and, and their combative deficiencies, like the mano-to-mano stuff, like yeah. getting back on D, picking up the ball um, and, and rebounding. Like they need to be making those adjustments in-game, not just a training. So, yeah, it's a definite disadvantage, um, but also it brings in a different element to coaching that we've all had to try and navigate. There's no, there's certainly no blueprint to how to do this best, but it's sort of, this is where you really rely on your strength and conditioning team to make sure that the players' loads are, are still high enough and, uh, and to keep them their bodies ready for when they do go back into, into game situations. It's an interesting one. Last point on it. If you were coaching right now one of those teams, Melbourne or Perth, would would you go as far as trying to organise maybe a a hit out against an NBL one team? Most most teams now are pretty much finalising their preparations for their NBL one seasons. Would you try to get a competitive hit out against a team like that just to make sure you're you're sharp rather than rather than those intra club scrimmages that I'm sure they're having? I think it depends on where the the health of the club is. But if I've got a pretty healthy roster, then yeah, I want to keep some momentum going. I want to. I want some combative behaviours. I mean, as much as you try and simulate that um, inside your group, there's nothing like having an opponent out on the floor. So the NBL1 teams, um, well, as we've seen with South East Melbourne, um, who have been compared to NBL1 teams in, in recent mm. times, like, there's not a lot of competition sometimes, but just seeing someone different going up against a different body, yeah, I think, I think it helps in your preparation. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if those teams are healthy that they aren't bringing, out, bringing somebody in to, to, to go up against. Yep. All right, that's been a big first segment, Simon. We've covered a lot already, but plenty more to go. So let's take a break, hear from Tap Touch, and then we'll get straight back into it. He'll make it for sure. That's why I backed him on Tap Touch. 
You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Okay, back on Hoop7's Basketball Hustle. I'm joined once again this week by Simon Mitchell as we gear up for the NBL finals to start this Wednesday night. Coming back to that final round, Simon, just quickly the results, just because I haven't mentioned anything yet. It started Yellowara Hawks 108, beating the Perth Wildcats 92. Then, as we discussed, the New Zealand Breakers locking in their spot, 103 winners over the Brisbane Bullets 87. The Cairns Taipans then beat Melbourne United again for the third time, 97-88. to Sydney Kings record win, 122 over the South East Melbourne Phoenix 67. Tasmania Jack Jumpers, we haven't mentioned them, but they just keep winning and they keep looking impressive ahead of this finals. 86 to 72 winners over the Perth Wildcats. Melbourne United, 92 winners over the Illawarra Hawks, 287. And then the Adelaide 36ers, 76 to 70 winners over the New Zealand Breakers. What are your thoughts on the Taipans, Simon? We, I spoke to Cody about them last week. It's a fascinating end to the season where it doesn't necessarily look like everything's harmonious between Adam Ford and some of his senior players. So they could very well be about to have another big turnover in the offseason, but they just keep having Melbourne United's number. You After that second win in the season, you broke it down about what they do so well and especially the way they target Chris Golding, but also the things that they do well against Melbourne. Even though Melbourne didn't have anything to play for in this game, did you still see similar things that they were able to take advantage of? What do you make of the fact that the Taipans have had an, a disappointing season overall, but... Against Melbourne, they've dominated them. Styles make fights, and mm. Cairns have a, a clear advantage in some areas against Melbourne, and look to exploit it. and And they've done a great job of it. I think this one we could probably take a little less from it than perhaps the first two, purely because of the motivational yeah. issues for Melbourne United right. going yep. into this game. And, and you know, even the way the court time was shared around, yep. obviously Dean was keeping everybody um, with a little bit of uh, a run, given that they've got this break. So everybody, everybody got a little bit of a run in this one. But yeah, look, it's, it's been a it's been a rough season, I guess, for Cairns. Um, you know, I feel like the, they never really got going. They Early in the season, um, they had the issues, all the issues with injuries and health, and then obviously going to the NBA for those games. Um, and then coming back and, you know, every time they showed a bit of promise, there'd be one, one step forward, two steps back for them. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit of a, I guess also perhaps having, carrying some uh, some more expectations this year as well. Yep, sure. You know, like well, last year, well, the last couple of years has been a, almost a welcome surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, can they do it again? And, and this year, you know, they're not sort of, Sneaking under the radar of other teams, um, they're a talented lineup, and and on any given night they can take care of their businesses. Melbourne have found out three times, but yeah, look, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. They're a long way away from Melbourne, um, and and the whispers haven't made anything down here. And even if they're whispers, yeah, you know, take them with a grain of salt. But yeah, I guess the the one that is the Josh Roberts certainly mm. likes playing against Melbourne United. You know? He it's, does. Like, yeah. just, I think he showed up three times this year, yes. and it was always <laughs> against Melbourne. But that's where his opportunities were given to him, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one, um, and obviously Patrick Miller as well. Um, but yeah, look, it's I, I think Cairns will be a little bit disappointed. Having said that, they were two weeks away from, and, and given all those issues they had early in the year, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were still sort of thinking, well, can they can they? Well, they there's still a good chance to make the top six. Well, they, they, so they're not. Uh, I guess in the end they only finished one game out of the top six still, so they weren't that far away. Yeah, and, and whilst um, we're going to probably applaud their 
neighbours down south in Brisbane, and, and I don't see it as being a pile on for cans. I think it's just a, some tweaks that they need to do and um, to get them back in uh, in contention. Well, speaking of the bullets, I I don't know how to how to sum up their season because I I don't know if it was a great building season or if it was a great missed opportunity. I'm somewhere stuck in the middle because we saw how good they could be. They played such good basketball for a lot of the seasons, but they found ways to, to lose games, and then they found ways to, to be disappointing in some games when it when it mattered the most. In the big picture, they, I mean, you have to say they virtually did it without an import. So Casey Prather, we know he's trying to to work his way back from from his injuries, so he's not the same player. But if they can keep him on board and work on him in the offseason, he might be next year. But then, as you talked about a couple of weeks ago, Shannon Scotton and Chris Smith just ended up being non-factors by the end of end, end of the season. So I feel like Justin Schuller did a lot of great work, but I feel like they would have to be disappointed that they have ended up not at least making making the top six. What? How do you sum up their season? Yeah, probably in a little bit of the same quandary as yourself. Uh, I think a way of working our way around bad experiences. It's hard to remember just how bad Brisbane were last year. Yeah. I mean, we just we'll talk about Southeast in a little bit, but we're, you know, we're sort of standing over the, um, the Phoenix right now, saying, "Geez, what a horrible season!" Mm-hmm. Despite the yes, they had some bad injuries, but geez, what a they were still better than Brisbane last year. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, you, when you put it in perspective, Brisbane were an absolute train wreck last year. Now, they had three head coaches in what four weeks? Yeah, yeah, no, it was outrageous. <laughs> and I think when you you look back on the season and say, "Okay, yes, we've, we've won." A handful more games, mm. uh, four or five more games this year. So from that standpoint, heading in the, the trajectory is in the right direction. The positives, our import didn't deliver, mm. um, so we can make adjustments there. I think they'll be really, really happy with the recruitment of Sam McDaniel. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, with Sam having incurred a couple of injury-riddled seasons, to get him through the majority of the year unscathed, fantastic. Um, and, and a building block moving forward. I would say even Isaac White. You know, you move a Jason Kadee out and bring an Isaac White in, and I'm thinking, well, you know, you're shuffling the deck chairs a little bit. But I thought Isaac White, despite not shooting the ball at his usual clip, found ways to score and in limited opportunities was very, very productive for him. So I think those two recruits would be outstanding. You know Rockers is going to be a much, much better player next yep. year. Well, I think he's already very good. Yeah, I mean, he, but I, yeah, I, I hasn't even turned 18 yet. Yeah, yeah, right. And I just think the opportunities are going to be more prevalent next year and yep. he'll be able to capitalise and the team will be better for him because he, he's such a unique talent to our league. Um, rim protection, that we're next-level rim protection that we don't have in the league currently, except maybe Magne. So it's um, there's a lot of positives there. Um, obviously, they, they recruited the best rookie and you know Justin will be more comfortable in the role next year having, you know, put 12 months behind him and unbelievable level, levels of learnings for him. So the trajectory is really, really good for Brisbane. Mm. But you do not want to also just sweep aside some of the issues. Their, their fourth quarter management um, was poor. The results down the stretch in the last few minutes of the game, they still need to get on top of that. You're still living and dying with Nathan Sobey, yes. um, where it's like, okay, well, which is it Nathan the closer or Nathan the the poor decision maker down the stretch. Like you, you want to know what you're getting and that still needs to be worked through. So yeah, there's still some challenges there for them. I think the easy part for Brisbane was to be a lot better than last year. Cause again, they were so bad um, and had so much going on and their front office issues deplorable. 
Um, I felt for the playing group all of last year. I thought they were put in a really bad situation as two were the coaches. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a, there's a glass half full and a glass half empty feel about the season. But um, I think they're, they're well managed by Justin um, and DMAC up there. And I feel like they've set the, uh, the foundation for building to go forward. And uh, I look forward to Brisbane uh, really genuinely pushing for a top four position next year. Yeah. South East Melbourne Phoenix, it's, it's a hard one to judge because they were clearly ravaged by injury in the second half of the season. So you can understand why they didn't win games, but then they could pull out the odd performance like that win against Sydney where they showed that sometimes, you know, heart and effort can, can overcome talent and then things completely fell off a cliff to finish the season, especially in that loss to the, to the Sydney Kings. But if you just look at purely the personnel, you can, you can understand why. And I know... I know Mitch Creek desperately wanted to play just to make sure they had his leadership out there. But in hindsight, I don't think physically he should have should have played. And I think he admitted that after afterwards. I feel like the what we saw in the first half of the season showed that personnel-wise, they probably got things pretty close to right because we were talking about them being a top two contender at that point when they were relatively healthy. And then things obviously got worse from there. How do you think they're feeling when they reflect back on the season now? I almost put this one in the Brisbane mm. uh, category as well. Is that okay? We can sort of you give them a pass because nobody's winning with that amount of carnage on your roster. Uh, to to have so many key players missing so much basketball, every other team in the in the league would be losing games also. Yes, but I don't think we sweep to the side or overlook the way in which the Phoenix lost mm. and I think it's really important to, to be very honest in some of those performances there seemed to be a real lack of effort and competitiveness yeah. and those came through in the numbers and so whilst you still might try hard and lose by 30 um, and it is demoralising when you're losing you know four, five, six consecutive games heavily the price of admission for a player is to give it everything you've got and I think there's going to be a little bit of soul searching Um for the club um, and just to make sure that they've got the right personnel um, moving forward because uh, I feel like that there were times this year where some of the players maybe didn't present themselves as best they could and uh, and that's disappointing. So, yeah, okay, there's a lot to, there's going to be, a, there should be a huge bounce back by Phoenix next year, even if it's just health. But there's some other things there that would indicate that, that they've got some issues to deal with and, and those need to be dealt with and there needs to be honest uh, conversations uh, that happen within the walls at South East Melbourne Phoenix and um, we'll let them have them and uh, we'll see how they go next year. Mm. Last team I want to get your thoughts on is the New Zealand Breakers and then we'll go through the award winners. I know Modi Mayor will never use this as an excuse publicly and I, I've spoken to him about it privately and he, he hates me bringing it up because he doesn't want it to look like they're complaining but I can can't help but feel like they're hard done by as well. And you look at look at the back to backs that they've had. Just about every one of them this season, they've then they've either either had to play on a Thursday or a Friday night somewhere in New Zealand. There's been times where it's been a, an extra road road trip on top of that to a, to one of their their other homes outside of Auckland, and then they've had to come back and play a fresh opponent on a Sunday who's been sitting there waiting for them. It's been Sydney, it's been Melbourne, it's and then for the last game of the season it was Adelaide in their most important game of the season, and then they lose Finn Delaney pre-game, they lose Will McDowell-White during the game, and then they're exhausted by the end of the game just because of their situation. Do they have a reason to feel hard done by? Because the, the international travel adds something to it, or, or am I fishing for excuses too, too far? 
Well, we need to know the culpability of New Zealand involved in this process as yep. well. Yep. Um, the teams can forward their requested and preferred home dates. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is anybody out there from New Zealand who knows more than I do, feel free to call in and tell me I'm wrong on this one. But my understanding uh, is that New Zealand wanted to have thurs- want Thursday night home games. That's okay. a yep. really good night for them from a commercial standpoint, mm-hmm. um, as far as filling out the uh, their arenas. So now they need to balance commerce with uh, competitiveness. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all. That's the, the, the quandary all teams find themselves in, um, except Melbourne and Sydney, who have commandeered the Sunday afternoon mm. um, time slot, which is the preferred for most teams. So, yeah, look, the, the, a little bit, the little bit of the culpability might remain with New Zealand brokers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding that balance is really important. Do they get a rough go of it? Well, just by the sheer fact that you're playing a team that's fresh on a Thursday as compared to playing a team who's most likely, or you may have gone through two games as well, the yeah, home yeah. team, but but you know that you're not getting a fresh opponent on the Sunday Arvo, then, yeah, I guess it, uh, certainly there's a uh, a little bit of uh, just, uh, an imbalance there. But uh, having said that, look, uh, I don't feel... The biggest thing for New Zealand is that they... They have international travel. Yes. Um, and and it's that extra hour to the airport. And if you have to get out at you know, 6 a.m., that means you've got to be there at 4 a.m. And those are tough mornings. That's tough travel. Um, we heard Adelaide, who were very vocal about <laughs> it earlier this year, yeah. um, you know, they had to do it once. Yeah. Um, we're talking about a team that has to do it quite regularly. Um, so there's certainly the tyranny of travel is, is a part of being a New Zealand um, home team. Uh, sorry, a New Zealand team. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, Perth have to travel also. And, and, and both those teams have been hugely successful and historically because um, they have a, a rather big advantage when they do play at home because of that travel. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I think they found themselves where they were mostly on the back of inconsistent rosters, um, being putting an inconsistent roster on the, on the floor um, due to injury. And, uh, yeah, I, I think New Zealand have been really competitive and I don't know if we need to make excuses for them. And I'm with Modi. I don't know if he wants excuses made for him. And no, he, I, I'd no, he doesn't. Certainly be, uh, I'd certainly be uh, listening to Modi and, and, <laughs> and uh, granting his request. Yeah, yes, absolutely. All right, let's run through the award winners. I want to get your thoughts. Your predictions were, well, a lot closer than mine, let's that, that, be honest. But let's go through. I want to get your reaction to the award winners that were announced last Monday night from, from the league. Let's start with the obvious one. Bryce Cotton, the MVP. Have you ever seen a more obvious MVP winner. I mean, I don't think you can actually make a case for anybody else to even be in the mix. And I can't remember anyone being that obvious a, a choice before. Yeah, I think in recent years we've, we've had, yeah, we've, we've had maybe two or three players you would have said would be deserving. I, I think there's one man race this year. Oh, if I had to think of uh, Chris Williams, Sydney Kings. Yes, yeah. Probably going back 20, week, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was a bit of a lay down as there. I don't think there would have been too many challenges to, to him getting that that award that year. Um, but yeah, uh, outside of maybe another Bryce year, I think mm. uh, they've been hotly contested. So yeah, yeah, there was a fair, big, fair margin in between him and second place too, I believe. So yeah, I think a fairly, fairly obvious MVP award this year. <laughs> I asked Cody this on our last show as well. I'm interested to get your thoughts. If we just assume that, that Bryce is the runaway winner and you take him out of the mix, who would be the MVP behind him? So who's the second best player in the league right now? Because I think there's probably 10 players you can make a real case for. Who would you, who would you say is the best player behind Bryce right now? Uh, 
the second best season by somebody. Mm. Um, well, who came second was Chris Golding, was it? No, I don't think Chris was a top three guy for me. I didn't even yeah. have Chris in my first team All Star. I had him yeah. in my second team yeah. All NBL. All NBL. Um, I was the same. Which is a different award. Yeah, yeah it's a different award being All NBL slash compared to. MVP. Um, I would go with one of the New Zealand guys, whether it yes. be PJC or or Anthony Lamb as my number two. Yeah, I agree. I think the way Jackson Cartwright finished the season once Lamb went down, I think he deserves to be in that mix. And I think Cody said Gary Clark when he when I asked him that question, and I think he's got a great case, especially the second half of the season as well. Let's keep going down the list. Coach of the year, Dean Vickerman. Halfway through the season, we all thought that was an obvious choice. I think the only why it became a toss-up was just because of the job Justin Tatum did, but I think for the whole body of work that that Dean's done, I don't think I don't think you can argue against it, can you? Oh, you can. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. <laughs> and, and as I said, like I didn't watch the awards. Uh, I don't care for them. Yeah. But I, I certainly saw the reactions on Twitter, and certainly for whatever reason, everyone seems to have a sook if their man doesn't win now. Um, I, I had Dean as the coach of the year. Um, I had him. Early in the season, at the halfway mark, I thought, yep, he was my choice. His team was rock steady all year. I thought he did a great job of navigating absences. The number one ranked defense, number three ranked offense. Um, had buy-in from every single player who put on a uniform. All season long, going from the guys, who, the interlopers like your Rob Lowe's, um, into your DPs, like everybody looked like they knew exactly what their role was and they went out to their best to fulfill that role. Now, for me, he's done it over the 20 rounds for 28 games. And, and done it to perfection. Jason Tatum has done just as good a job over far less rounds. Now, everybody loves a comeback kid. Everybody loves a team that's come from the brink. Um, and there's a lot to admire. And, and believe me, if, if Jason Tatum won it, I'd be just as a deserving a winner as yes. Dean Vickerman. But I don't think we can overlook the excellence of Dean throughout the course of the year and and dispel that and say, well, he's got a loaded team and all. they've had a lot of challenges this year. Yeah. And uh, I think he's navigated all those challenges extremely well and is a most deserving coach of the year. For sure. Most improved player fascinates me, and I think this might have been one of the ones you were alluding to off the top of the show. I don't understand fully what the criteria is. and I, Sean McDonald won, and I nothing against him, but I... Two things. I don't know if a development player should be eligible for, for this award. And also, he had a really good season last year. I'm not sure he improved a hell of a lot from, from last year. So I'm not, <laughs> so I, I'm not sold on it. My, my, my choice was Hiram Harris because he went from basically nothing to being a very important player of the Wildcats. Your choice was Tyrell Harrison, and he went from being an injury-riddled, injury deep-in-the-bench player to being a, a starter who was playing a massive role on that Brisbane team. And... And I think you make a great case for Jalen Galloway. I, I don't know. Give me your thoughts. I've got nothing else to add. You covered <laughs> it for me. Either I'm totally underrating Sean McDonald's season mm. or and totally overrating him the year before yeah. or I just saw something last year that nobody else saw and I don't think that's the case. <laughs> yeah. I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not that special. <laughs> mm. um, I thought Sean McDonald was an excellent uh, player last year and I thought yeah. he was an excellent player this year. I certainly believe he improved a little bit um, but I didn't think it was any sort of dramatic improvement mm. that you start throwing trophies at him for. But I believe this there needs to be some clarity around this award. Um, I, I feel like the most improved award has had its issues throughout the years. I mean, we gave it to a guy two years in a row yes. in Keanu Pinder. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> we gave no. it to Dave Barlow, who was an Australian boomer, mm-hmm. 
that makes no sense to me. Now, I know he came off with the injury riddle Achilles uh, season and came back and struggled the year after and then had a good year after that. That's great. We're talking about one of the, the legends of the game. It wasn't that great of a turnaround in what we know he was capable of. Um, I like to see, well, my understanding in my own mind of the most improved is a guy who's kind of either maybe floundered a little bit and then found himself like a Ruben Tarangi did at that year yes. in Brisbane. I think Tyrell Harrison falls into that yep. gap. Uh, who are the other players you mentioned? Jalen Galloway. I'm not so sure about Jalen this year. Uh, his numbers will tell you the opposite. His numbers will say, well, they doubled and everything. Mm. But if I'm comparing the Jalen Galloway that was playing in the NBL finals against New Zealand to the Jalen Galloway that played this yeah. year, I'm taking that finals version of Jalen Galloway. Yep, sure. Some of it may be the team, yep. but the, I thought he, when Justin Simon went out of the game and he came in, I was like, mm. man, the defense is not letting up. Yeah. This kid is legit. Um, and he's always been explosive off the dribble. So his numbers, yes, they've doubled, but I, mm. I'm not sure his impact and effect on games was had increased from last year. Yeah. It's just a different role. Yeah, sure. um, Hiram Harris is and, the one that I, I thought. Yeah, I, and, and I think that's a fair case. Um, although Hiram, he played well with Adelaide and he's, he's mm. many opportunities last year too. So, yeah, look, uh, again, I'm happy to see the award disappear. Mm. Um, I'm happy to see a criteria put in. Yeah. My care factor <laughs> is maybe not what it should be. Yes. Um, but I just I just think it's – I really like Sean McDonald. Mm. Um, we had him at the Phoenix um, as a train player, and I, I think it's um, – I don't want to question um, him being uh, getting an accolade. Mm. Um, I, I just had so much respect for the way he played the year before that I, I, yeah. I thought this was almost a replica of a similar season. What it does bring to, to, to the forefront for me and is perhaps we need to start tightening that DP rule. Yes. You know, when we start giving out most improved awards to someone who's clearly not a DP mm. but is contracted as a DP, it sort of circumnavigates the salary cap in Mm-hmm. some ways and, and perhaps creates an advantage and that's a loophole that we probably need to close. Yes, absolutely. Best sixth man, Ian, Ian Clark ended up winning this comfortably. I was surprised Will Magnay didn't get a bit closer, but I don't think he can be upset that Ian got the award given what he's done for, for Melbourne coming off the bench. Probably thought it was the easiest pick behind the MVP, to be yeah. honest. Um, Will, Will's been amazing also, but Ian Clark is... No, I guess they both missed, missed a few games, but mm. um, Ian Clark's impact was felt at the start of the season. It was felt when he was out of the team, and uh, yeah, I think his back end form was pretty strong. And yeah, his, his scoring numbers—they're just a much better team when he's on the on the roster. And yeah, he's going to be really key for them in this playoff run, as too will Will Magnate. So mm. yeah, it's, they're both fine players. Will's had a wonderful season. Um, I see Ian Clark as your more traditional six man, yep. um, whereas Will Magnate's a bloke coming off the bench. Yes. He's, he's easily in their top five players. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's sort of the way that you look at it as well. And perhaps the two Tasmanian blokes splitting some votes there probably doesn't help either. No, that, no, that was a little bit strange. Best defensive player. This is this is an interesting one for me because I, I mean, I, I think we all acknowledge that Shaili is the best defender in the in the league. I think that's that's obvious. And I think it would have been a great shame if he never won this award during his career because he could have won it previously. But I. Just bear with me for a second. I don't know if he necessarily was the best defender this season. I don't know if he had his best season. So I think the best overall season from a defender was probably Sam McDaniel. He was the most consistent. The most dominant defensive player, I think, was Will Magne. But I think just because of the of his body of work, I think Shea had to get this award because he, he couldn't go through his career without getting at least one, could he? 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure that's the reason to choose no, him. No. Um, because, but uh, I thought he was the. I, I thought Huck Porty could have been um, Defensive Player of the Year, but he wasn't nominated. Yep, I, I yep. certainly think Shea is a, a deserving uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Sam McDaniel, well, there's bigger awards in the NBL than just NBL Defensive Player of the Year. There mm. is certainly the Damian Martin uh, <laughs> Award, yes. which is um, which is far more coveted, um, especially if you're not an expert Wildcat. Yes. So, yeah, look, again, uh, I look at it, is, is the player deserving? Shay Ely, without a doubt, mm-hmm. I think we could all have a case for another guy. You know, Bill Qual, and yep. this is, you go back the year before, and the, the uproar out of Sydney and their displeasure. I mean, they won every award, but mm-hmm. they didn't get a nomination in Defensive Player of the Year about Justin Simon. And then you hear the song and dance about that. But Bill Qual was mm-hmm. not nominated either, and mm-hmm. I thought he should have been a finalist last year. But it's... Again, he's missed out this year. So uh, there's, there's always deserving players who miss out, and um, that's why these awards are so precious for some people um, mm. and why they value them so highly. So um, if there was nobody else deserving, then <laughs> they wouldn't be worth much, would they? No, absolutely not. Next Generation Award, I I honestly don't know why they, they did this award in the first place. I think we should have stuck with the Rookie of the Year Award and left this alone. I don't, I don't know why we need to give an award just to anyone who's under 25 years of age. So first of all, I don't think it's a necessary award. And and secondly, Sam Froling, if you're judging everybody that was under 25, I think it basically came down to probably Sam Froling or Luke Travis. And I think it was a toss of the coin pretty much. What what do you think? Uh, yeah. Well, again, this is another one where I think maybe we need a little bit of um, a revision. I agree in principle to your Rookie of the Year award. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes, yes. <laughs> like sometimes we have years where there's a guy averaging three points a game yeah. and playing limited minutes, and he gets the rookie of the year, and you're like, "Oh, geez, yeah. we've got to change this award." Yeah. And then you get a year like this year, and you get a player who does really well, averaging 13 points a game as yeah. a rookie. And you're like, "Oh, we've got to get him a trophy." Mm. But we've already changed the parameters, <laughs> and this guy's more deserving. So yeah. it's 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 neither here nor there for me. Um, I think the 25 and under is way too big a window. I would like to see a compromise. So bear with me on this one. Mm-hmm. Make it an under 23 award yep. or somebody who's in their genuine first pro season. Yes. So you're out of college and or you're being toiling away in the NBL one. This is your first season as a pro. Not a next star that played two years in Lithuania then came mm-hmm. over and you throw him a rookie of the year award. I don't want to see that crap. Yep. I, I want it to be genuine, put some genuine, gen, genuine parameters in there. Um, but having said that, for what the parameters this year are, is you're basically just a player who's under the age of 25 and Sam Froling is certainly ticks all the boxes had mm. a great year was a big part of the Illawarra Hawks and, and they're rising to uh, the top four um, and Luke Travers also you know the numbers perhaps don't sing out um, like like Froling's do but his role is a little bit different and um, you know from a defensive standpoint I, I think he probably provides certainly a lot more rim protection um, so Either either, yeah, give, give them both a trophy. I'm, I'm all good. But Sam, certainly deserving. Had a wonderful year, and I'm glad he's got the acknowledgement. Yep. Just lastly, the, the all-NBL team. So the you got the 10 players right. Just a little bit of, of the order was mixed up. So the all-first team was Bryce Cotton, Chris Golding, Gary Clark, Anthony Lamb, Parker Jackson, Cartwright. The all-second team, Mitch Creek, Nathan Sobey, Joe Luala, Chul, Milton Doyle, and Jack McVeigh. Are you, are you pretty happy that they got the 10 players right, first of all? Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm happy to see the players that got the nod and, and, and also happy that some of the players that were being touted 
whose seasons I think have been a little bit overrated mm-hmm. weren't in there, so weren't acknowledged. Yeah. Um, you know, there seem, seems to be a bit of a groundswell from certain areas of media or clubs who like to push their own barrow um, when it comes to trophy night, and I don't think it seemed to have the effect this year. But yeah, those for me were the 10 players most deserving. I the only difference I had was I had Joe Lawala Chul in the first team and I had Chris Golding in the second team and yep. and that's probably the old man in me who, who still somehow likes to put a center in the in the first team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought it was a more balanced lineup with those two. Although yeah. having you know McVeigh and Creek as your bigs is, 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 it makes a pretty small front <laughs> line, but uh, I, I just couldn't put any other traditional bigs in there. So. Yeah, look, both all, all those players extremely deserving. Um, you can interchange a few of those guys from first to second team, um, and you don't lose much, if anything, at all. That was kind of my thinking. Is that's why I had Isaac Humphreys because I wanted a big guy in both of my teams. So I had Humphreys in in one team and and, and JLA in my other team because I just wanted to have a a center in both my teams. And the other one was Patrick Miller that I had that didn't didn't make it. Maybe I'm a bit off the mark with Humphreys and Miller though. Though am I? Well, who'd you have? Who would you like to remove? Who did I remove? So I didn't have Creek or McVeigh. So I had those two for Creek and McVeigh. Yeah, look, yeah, you could you could certainly mount an argument for that. I thought both those players have been solid, particularly McVeigh, who's been a big part in mm. Tasmania's success this year. You know, we've seen. Milton Doyle miss games. We saw both him and Crawford start off really hot. Mm. Saw Magday miss games, but then finish the season really strongly. I think McVeigh has been that really steady guy from round one through to round 20. Yeah, sure. um, he's brought a level of excellence all season long for Tasby. And so, yeah, I think he certainly deserves a spot. But, yeah, you know, Patrick Miller's had a good season. And, um, and Isaac Humphreys, especially since Scott's come in, in 2024, so there might be a little bit of a recency yes. bias there <laughs> as well because that second half of the year is pretty strong um, and significantly stronger than what it was mm. his first half of the year. So, yeah, look, I, I'm sure you can mount an argument for both those guys. Um, there's always deserving players that miss out, but, yep. um, yeah. All right, all right, that's that covered. Let's take a quick break, we Simon. We don't want to cover ref of the year? No ref of the year? We want to, well, we, thought we, we'd spend we, 20 minutes talking about that. <laughs> well, Vaughan Mabry no. got, got the award, but <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a funny one. I don't know if the referees necessarily want to be singled out like that, do they? Is that an award we should have? Telling me referees don't want a bit of time in the limelight. Well, <laughs> well, that, that's a good point too. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. How, how do we judge it as well? I mean, I, I don't know how you do, how you judge, how you even judge uh, such I think a thing. The referees nominate the referees nominate and and, um, and vote for that one themselves. It's not voted by any of the coaches or players. That's uh, oh, an internal award, <laughs> there you go. Um, oh. which I think they could have at their internal. End of season dinner, yeah. <laughs> if they were chosen. Uh, I guess the other one's Nick Trulson, the, the, the executive of the yes. year as well. So congratulations to Nick. Yes, absolutely, for his job at Melbourne United. All right, we'll take a break, Simon. When we come back, let's go through our awards on the show and then we'll do a quick finals preview and then we'll wrap things up. He'll make it for sure. That's why I backed him on Tap Touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Okay, back on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. Last segment for this week. I'm joined by Simon Mitchell. Let's talk about the Galen Award for, for this season, Simon. It's, so we've decided this is named to the best NBL team man. So the best guy that contributes to his team winning doesn't necessarily have to be the greatest scorer or the guy that jumps out points-wise, but just the guy that does all those gritty things to help you, help you win. So 
The round 20 winner, once again, Will Magnay. His impact is massive. We talked about it before. When he comes on the floor, this is a significantly better Tasmania Jack Jumpers team. So he earns himself a nomination. In terms of the season overall, Simon, I think the best way for us to decide a winner is for you to pick your best three nominations from the season and then we'll let our listeners decide and we'll try and come up with a prize as well thanks to Sports Card World for one of our lucky listeners. Who are the three guys that jump out? jump out to you for, for this award. Okay, I might give a little preamble. Yes, this no, one sure. probably needs a little explanation. We've just talked about criteria and, and awards that, that go without one and we all left, uh, left a little confused. So these <laughs> are not the three best players in the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there are certainly some blue chip players that I, I could certainly nominate. And, and early in the year when I was trying to get my head around the Galen Award, I was looking for the guy who exemplified you know, carrying teams or taking on responsibility. And then we started to see those guys do it game after game. And you realize, okay, this is a blue chip guy. So I started to shift from that and say, okay, I want to start rewarding guys who don't necessarily even aren't filling the stat sheet and may not get the uh, the love from the general public because mm-hmm. maybe they're not seeing what he does, um, you know, whether it's set, setting screens, diving on loose balls, boxing out with consistency, you know, picking up his first guy to pick up his teammate when they fall to the ground, like the little things that you see during the course of the game that I guess a lot of coaches are looking for that don't present themselves in box sheet and um, sometimes the fans at home don't see it. So my focus turned from, you know, guys who are just dominating or being great exponents of the game to guys who were doing the little things that help their team be successful. So my nominations, my final three nominees for the award, uh, I think you'll like these three because Mm -hmm. these are some of the guys that missed your trophies. Will Magnay, um, who's the round 20 winner, but um, yeah, he's been under consideration for a number of weeks and been pipped at the post by like... uh, a Foxwell, you know, who's come up, yes. you know, he's got an opportunity for no reason at all. Um, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Will, I had you this week, but no, <laughs> Foxy's got to get it this week because he's averaged 11 points by boards, four assists. Mm. Um, I've got to acknowledge that. Sam McDaniel, um, who I spoke about earlier, who I think's just been a such a consistent performer for Brisbane this year. Um, obviously an elite defender, but his little mid-range game's been mm. coming along a little bit as well, He's in, and he just does a little thing so well. And he might have the best rig in the NBL, yes. so we've got to acknowledge <laughs> that as well. So, And a wonderful bloke. So Sam McDaniel, you're in there as well. And uh, the one that'll bring a big smile to your dial is, is Hiram <laughs> Harris. Yes. Uh, I think whenever he's given an opportunity um, in the NBL, he brings value to his team. He's a very high IQ player. He knows how to involve his teammates. He's constantly thinking, how can I involve my elite teammates? And that's why he makes people better. And also, he's just got that hustle gene. You know, he's always he's undersized. Um, he's not an incredible athlete. Uh, he's probably always had to fight and hustle to contribute to his team, um, to bring value to his team. And he's brought that to the highest level in Australia. And, you know, so it's Will Magnay, Sam McDaniel, and Hiram Harris, my hard hat trio, yes. uh, who will be the nominees for the Galen Award this year. No, very happy with those three nominees. I won't ask you to pick a winner right now, but once our listeners decide who they choose, I'll let you tell me yes or no if they got it right or not, Simon. So we'll put that out over the next week. We'll get a prize from Sports Card World and we'll determine our winner of the Galen for this season. Yes, I know, Simon. Did Damien Martin get it right when he couldn't split Shaili and Sam McDaniel in his voting for the best defensive player? 
Uh, he got it wrong. Um, <laughs> he certainly got it wrong because he didn't nominate a Perth Wildcat or ex-Perth Wildcats player. So um, bad luck, Damo. Um, you've disappointed me. Um, no, look, it's uh, as you said, you know, you thought Sam McDaniel should have been Defensive Player of the Year. I thought Shay Ely should have been Defensive Player of the Year. And Damo mm. said, you're both right. So, yeah, look, they've both had really strong seasons, um, incredible defenders, and are sorely missed when they're not on the team, mm. uh, not on the floor for their team. So great to see them both return from injury-riddled seasons, and uh, it's been a real pleasure to watch them. And for anyone, me especially, to dispute uh, the great Damian Martin and his what he sees defensive standpoint would be folly. So, yeah, <laughs> Damo's nailed it. Um, our Player of the Year voting, the votes each week came from Matty Knight, three-time NBL champion, a guy that you spent plenty of years coaching a- against, Simon. Obviously, Bryce was a clear winner, and I think any of these awards that doesn't have Bryce as a clear winner would be incredible. But um, his leaderboard under that was Parker Jackson, Cartwright, Isaac Humphreys, Milton Doyle, Anthony Lamb, Nathan Sobey, Jordan Crawford, Gary Clark. It's an obvious that he got the the winner, right? What do you what do you make of his leaderboard beyond that? Yeah, so this is more like the Brownlow medal count, isn't mm. it? So he gives a three vote, um, three, two, and one each round. Um, I think it was which, a, a five, four, three, two, one, but yeah, just at the end. A of five, four, round. yeah, yep. five, 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 three, one. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's an extended Brownlow count. Mm. Yeah, which, 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 there's a different slant on it. So you could uh, have five really good weeks and land five fives yep. and be top of the leaderboard um, and, and do sweet bugger all for the rest of <laughs> yes. the season. Um, and we've seen that in the AFL. So mm. it's, I, I like it because it's different to the MVP um, and it, it's just a, it, it creates conversation. But with Bryce Cotton's excellence this year, um, he's always going to win it. But yeah, you see a few names in there that perhaps uh, weren't involved in the uh, in the first and second team All-NBL mm. teams, but these guys are guys who put out, you know, like Nathan Sobey He's had outstanding moments. Jordan Crawford, particularly really early in the yeah. season, and then he had the wet sail at the end, but had a, a number of quiet weeks. He probably fits the mold of the player that I was talking about earlier. There, he's had really strong patches, mm. but struggled during others. But they come out, they get represented in the, the, this format. So, yeah, look, he uh, got the winner right, and that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> yes. And no surprises there. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's get to our preview. The playing tournament all of a sudden starts very soon. Not. Just very quickly, we don't need to get bogged down on this, but what do you make of the way that the leagues change the terminology? To me, this is the this is the same as just having our old elimination finals and then moving into, you know, a qualifying final, moving into the semifinals. We've just got a different name for for them. Is that how you see it? Yeah, um, the NBL for whatever reason went really strongly last year of trying to make it. This is not a final. Mm. This is a play-in. <laughs> yes, and, and the public bought it. Mm. Um, and I think it was almost derogatory towards the teams that, oh, Yali made a play, and that's mm. not a playoff. And it's sort of like, oh, man, you know, you got sub-500 teams playing off this year, mm. and, and everyone seems to be celebrating and cheering <laughs> and waving flags. It's, it's, um, but it's just a small shift in the, uh, in the way it's presented. So, look, I think it's, it's, it's positive. Um, uh, uh, it's a positive shift. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think... The league is so competitive that only rewarding the top four, uh, I think, fails the league. And I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush. This is good financially for the league. Yes, this yes. Is, I mean, you're getting you're sneaking into more um, some more games that are going to be on television. Um, more sponsors, um, more money through the gate. It's great, but also I think the public. Um, especially the basketball community, are going to see some really good contests. Yep. And um, 
that's what we want as fans of the game. And um, so I think instead of being derogatory towards your own product, which I thought they were last year, um, by saying this is not a playoff mm. game, I feel like, okay, now you're starting to sell yourself and these are deserving clubs who have had to work through certain New Zealand breakers. They're the perfect example. And I wish they had a full lineup to go into this yeah. playing qualifier, but that's why these, these exist. You know, we, we, we're differentiating teams between um, baskets over the course of the year, between the difference of mm-hmm. missing and making playoffs, a team that's lost a good chunk of its roster for, for long periods, you want to keep those games live down the stretch and give them something to play for rather than just cashing in the season, send your next star off to into hibernation mm-hmm. for an NBA draft and, and, and putting the queue in the rack. This is a legit way of making your competition and your product better. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm excited about these games. I think we're going to see some really good contests. Yeah, I, I think the way these two games on Wednesday not have panned out scheduling wise you couldn't have asked for better in terms of the two matchups either so it starts in Hobart on Wednesday night we'll do this preview thanks to TapTouch so head to taptouch.com.au or download the TapTouch app and find all your odds it's called the seeding qualifier so it's third against fourth the Tasmania Jack Jumpers at home to the Illawarra Hawks the thing that excites me about this is that both teams are fully healthy both teams come into the finals in in great form both of them deserve to be one of the top four teams one of them will go straight into that semi-final series. Who gets the win on Wednesday night? <sighs> Gee, that's a really good question. I'm going with Tassie. Mm-hmm. I think their experience in these situations, I think they've been building towards this moment for three years. Uh, I feel like this has been their most challenging season. And... I think that some of the challenges that they've faced during the course of this year has steeled them towards the end of the season. I think they're a genuine title contender, and I think they win this. Mm-hmm. Illawarra have surprised me. Uh, I wasn't surprised by the initial purple patch. Uh, now, I'm not saying I predicted the purple patch because I didn't at all, yes. but you often see teams when after you know there's been a coaching change, they'll have that little purple patch and say, okay, yeah, all right, there's a change. The players are feeling the heat. It's, you know, it went from the pressure being on the coach now to being on the players, and then they fall in a hole after the initial purple patch. But this team, they fell in a little bit of a hole where it looked like it could have gone south, but Justin Tatum's um, been a, a, a amazing uh, bringing this team back from the precipice on a couple of occasions now. And I've been very surprised by their ability to turn that around, especially with some of the personnel uh, and the way they've done it, you know, by benching import Justin Robinson mm-hmm. and down a stretching games and running with the Davo Hickey, you know, which defies logic on historical <laughs> performance that you're going with a guy with a high turnover rate and he's going to close out games, but he's making plays running that baseline. He reminded me of Herb McEachin. Um, <laughs> he's the new baseline bandit. Um, he just does it with a cut and, uh, cutting instead of, uh, you know, with the ball in hand. But it, the way that they've done it and there's a real solidarity um, and they're going to go down swinging uh, or they're going to go into the game, they're, they're, they're going to be swinging. Um, they, they've been flying by the seat of their pants since um, the coaching change um, and they've got nothing to lose and they're proud. And uh, look, they're going to give a, a really good uh, uh, version of themselves in this game. But I think Tazzy just. Second up will be the playing qualifier. This is... Fascinating in the total opposite ways of what the first game is because you've got the Sydney Kings who I think you can make a case they're the most talented individual team across the competition, but they just haven't clicked. But, gee, they can turn it on if they if they want to and if they decide to. So they, they host the New Zealand Breakers who not only will they be without Anthony Lamb, but you have to assume now that 
They're without Will McDowell-White as well. So personnel-wise, they're in a horrible situation, but they just keep finding a way. They're so competitive. They've got a great culture that they've built there. I mean, this is a this is a grand final rematch from last season as well. What, what's going to happen? Yeah, this one really requires a crystal ball for <laughs> me. I really don't know. Sydney did what they did last week. Um, who's healthy for the breakers? Does Will McDowell-White uh, White play? Does Finn Delaney play? Mm. At what point does the, the loss of talent hit breaking point for the for the breakers? If both of those players are out, it's going to take a, a phenomenal game from uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright. Uh, but we've seen Sydney just play below the level of their talent yep. for the majority of the year, and, um, and look, the pressure's on here. Um, they've got no excuses to lose this. They're at home. They're against a beated, uh, a battered opponent. Mm. Do we see them rise to the occasion like they did last week? No, I don't think so. I don't think they'll play that level of basketball because um, I think their opponent's much better. Even if even if those two players don't make it, I'm going with New Zealand in the up in the upset. Mm. I just have a more belief in them as a unit yep. than I do in the Sydney Kings. That'll set up a fascinating then, the official playing game will then be on Monday night. So if that goes to plan from your predictions, it'll be the Hawks against the Breakers. The winner will get the, get the chance to then play, I think I've got it right, Melbourne United in the, in the playoffs. If it, if it is the Hawks and the Breakers, who would, who would get, that, get that one? Uh, I would back the Hawks in yep. because they've had success against New Zealand, um, even during their low times. Yes. Um, but also uh, it would just depend a lot on who New Zealand are going to um, to put in uniform. Yeah. Uh, on the basis of expecting New Zealand to be missing a few players, I would go to the Illawarra Hawks. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Illawarra versus Sydney is oh, kind of a yes. uh, mouth-watering proposition as well. Yes. Um, so, so maybe I'll be I'll be <laughs> barracking for Sydney in that in that game just to just to get to the week after. But again, you know, like it could be Tassie versus whomever. But uh, yeah, look, that's it, the beauty of this league. We don't know. It does require a crystal ball. We don't have one. We're gonna have to tune in and uh, and, and make our assessments mm. after we see these combatants go at it. Just assuming your crystal ball is right, though, would you? Be pretty excited to see Melbourne United against the Illawarra Hawks and then the Perth Wildcats against the Tasmania Jack Jumpers in those two playoff series. I hope so. Yeah, mm. I really do. I feel like we will get the best two teams in the league in the grand final that way. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they're two great matchups as well, they style wise. Styles make fights like you keep saying, and those those two mm-hmm. fights would be would be fantastic to see. But we have to wait and see how it all pans out, Simon. It's been a lot for us to cover. Thank you very much for joining me once again. It's been fascinating to pick your brain and hear your thoughts on on everything. I'm Chris Pike. I'll wrap it up for this week and let you finish off with whatever's on your mind, Simon. Yeah, look, I guess it's um, this time of year and, and given the break that we have, just a lot of focus and pressure on the uh, the, the fitness and uh, medical staff of all these teams. Make sure... And the high-performance staff especially, especially for Perth and Melbourne, given the gaps that they're incurring and, and keeping those players not just physically fresh and ready, but also mentally um, prepared. And this is what the fever break, I guess, throws up at us. It's, uh, it's a very difficult proposition and a, and a real tightrope walk 
So good luck to all those teams, especially Melbourne and Perth, because they have the, the toughest challenge mm. in regards to uh, navigating a fever break. But I'm really looking forward to this year's final series. And it is a final series. It's not a plane. It's a final series. And uh, let's get that part right. And um, it'll be a great uh, couple of weeks of basketball heading our way. He'll make it for sure. Now that's why I backed him on Tap Touch. Hey, Luke. Yes, Gene Simmons. He's probably the best when it comes to this stuff. Thanks, Gene. You've got the touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call 1 800 858 858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au.